This is Raw Cut. Welcome to Life Burst. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. Well, can an engineer believe in miracles? Find out soon. Yes, welcome to Life Burst. I am Sarah. And I'm Matt. It is wonderful you could join us again as we delve into stories of ordinary, everyday people like this guy. Ken, welcome into the studio. It is really good to have you in. Uh, We're looking forward to what you have to share today uh, as we walk through your life. Uh, Where did life start out for you? Well, uh, for me, it started in England. And uh, um, I went to uh, school, started school there, and then came out to Australia uh, when I was seven years old. Uh, We were uh, 10-pound poms, so it's my brother and I and parents. Mm. And um, as it would happen, we were left um, in Adelaide. Uh, we could have gone to Perth or Sydney or whatever, but we ended up in Adelaide, and that's probably a good thing. Um, I went to several schools uh, in in uh, Adelaide. Um, in fact, I went to a total of 12 schools um, over my education period, and... Uh, uh, we moved around quite a bit when we first came here. Um, we ended up out at Elizabeth, and um, uh, so we spent a reasonable amount of time there. And uh, then um, I went to Elizabeth High School. I uh, got a scholarship, so I went to uh, university to uh, uh, do a bachelor's degree in electronics and um, uh, became uh, an engineer. And um, I uh, ended up being probably one of the youngest engineers to graduate from Adelaide Uni. Uh, so I was an engineer at uh, 19 and um, I went over to Melbourne uh, to work in uh, design research, uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And um, uh, in my last year, I met my wife, Anne, and... Um, uh, being over in Melbourne, her being in Adelaide was uh, not the best arrangements. And um, So how did you two meet each other then? Can't skip over there. <clears throat> okay. Well, we actually met when I uh, first came out to Australia. And uh, I went to the, started off at the Henley Beach Primary School. And she happened to be in the same class as I. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in fact, at, uh, being a, a POM, I was still learning, you know, uh, how to kick a football or that sort of thing. and But somehow, somewhere along the line, I got um, roped into a kiss chasey. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and believe it or not, uh, my wife-to-be, I actually caught her and she went all giggly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, But then we, we moved on. <laughs> so... Um, and it wasn't until uh, very much later that uh, uh, it was the end of um, my second year at uni and my, uh, my mate and I, we decided uh, that we'd have a bit of a party and whatnot, but I didn't have a girlfriend. And so he rang around and said, oh, I think I've got a, a, a date for you. So I met this, uh, this young lady as a blind date um, she didn't realise I was English. In fact, she thought that I could have been um, 
Chinese or something like that because a, a name like Ken Ling uh, could uh, ah. uh, so she got a bit of a surprise when uh, I turned up uh, and she wasn't going to accept that at all but she'd actually bought a new dress so she wanted to you know try out the new dress so you can see it was sort of um, quite an unusual sort of situation to actually meet her again mm. and uh, I must say that we hit it off very well on that first date and uh, much to the surprise of our friends. Right. So that's how it started. Started with Kiss Chasey. A long time ago. <laughs> and obviously still lingered. Yes, yes. Lingered. How did you, like, know that you were playing like Kiss Chasey all these years later? How, how did you know that that was the thing, that you played that game together? Oh, well, because um, I, I remembered it very clearly. It, uh, it was the first time I'd actually held a girl, and I couldn't believe how soft they were. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know. We're I, soft, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sort of, uh, um, so I remembered it quite clearly. It was the only time I actually played Kiss Chasey. I, th I thought that, that was sort of, you know, that wasn't really for boys. And Did you kiss her in Kiss Chasey? No, no, we didn't get to that. Oh. Anyway, she was wriggling around too much. Um <laughs> Like, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> this is a good story. You have other back in those childhood years. Did you have memories of England, or had you already moved? What what age were you? Uh, well, I um, I actually turned eight shortly after we arrived here in Australia. But um, uh, I had very clear memories of, of England, and um, in fact, uh, when we went back uh, to England. Uh, um, in 2000, I could actually describe where I lived, where the streets were, what the school looked like, and, uh, and so on. And so, um, uh, yeah, very clear memories. And um, uh, it was really quite interesting to see how much smaller everything was. I think most people have that experience, go back to where they mm. were when they were a kid. And uh, the main street was shorter and, uh, you know, all the rest of it, the shops were smaller. Um, but yes, I remembered quite a bit. In fact, uh, uh, much to uh, my wife's frustration, I can remember a lot of things, even when I was a little tacker. Um, uh, it's just one of those things that I, I'm able to do. Uh, whereas she can't remember very much at all. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm curious to know, you said you came over and you had the like strong English accent. How did you, like, come into being within sort of the Australian culture that was around at the time? How did you lose that accent? Well, I, did, uh, I didn't actually completely lose it. Um, oh, no, you definitely still got some of yes, it. Yes, that's yeah. right. I guess it's, uh, uh, you know, just growing up and um, going to different schools, um, there was obviously a, a big migrant um, uh, population in Elizabeth. Um, I used to be able to uh, uh, mimic people's accents. Um, I was uh, one of my part-time jobs while I was at high school was to go around and collect uh, money for the paper round. And uh, someone would uh, answer the door and they would have an Irish accent and so I'd put on my Irish lilt or it could be a, a sort of a, an Italian type accent so I sort of mimic that and so on so in many ways i guess that uh, i've been a, a bit of a mimic if i really put my mind to it and so um 
uh, perhaps uh, uh, acquiring a, a uh, an Australian accent wasn't wasn't that hard. And uh, you know, and also uh, we were we were known as Poms, and um, you know that was quite a derisory sort of um, a label that they they put on us. But uh, I mean, you, you know, as a kid, you just put up with that and just laughed at it. But uh, you actually learn to try and avoid, um, you know, standing out from the crowd. Uh, when I came out from England, um, boys had shorts down to their knees. Um, uh, we had uh, what we called satchels and not, not the kit bags that the boys usually had in those days. So you had to sort of discard all that sort of paraphernalia and start to get in with what, uh, mm. what the other boys were doing. What, did you get bullied or anything like that because of your different accent and where you came from? No, not really. I think that uh, I was more curiosity than anything. So, uh, um, I, you know, occasionally I got bullied, but um, uh, I learned in England how to stand up to bullies, so I never really sort of tolerated that very much. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, people learned that, uh, no, you, you don't really do that to Ken then, okay. eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Fighting words. Yeah. Well, Ken, there's a lot more to share of your story. So uh, we look forward to uh, more of that right after this. This is Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app, or you can share this on social media. Welcome back to Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. Today we're chatting with Ken and he's about to tell us about some of the mischievous things that he got up to with his brother. Yes. Yeah. May or may not have landed you in you know, yes. hot water. Yes, mm -hmm. my brother has landed me in hot water, as he normally <laughs> does. And uh, it's been the story of our sibling rivalry for many, many years. Um, it's a bit hard to know where to start because I guess there are so many incidences. Um, the... Um, at uh, one stage, um, it was a Guy Fawkes night, November the 5th, which, of course, has been cancelled because... What uh, is Guy Fawkes for people who don't know what that oh, is? Oh, Guy Fawkes, he was, a, he was an English gentleman who decided that he'd had enough of politicians and wanted to blow up Parliament, and uh, he had the gunpowder plot, but he was um, he got caught, unfortunately, and, um, and so we're stuck with our politicians still to this day. Mm. Um but uh, uh, and in commemoration of his attempt, um, every year on the fifth of November, uh, there'd be bonfires, and um, there would be what was called the guy, which was, uh, you know, jackets and old trousers and whatnot, stuffed with straws, and the poor chap was put on top of the bonfire, and uh, and we'd have. We're obviously talking about a scarecrow, right? A scarecrow. So you saw people didn't think that like I was a real guy and stuff no, 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 straw and put guy. on top of yeah, a bonfire. Yeah, we didn't we didn't push straw into a real guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm just um, trying to make that clear. Uh, yes, his name was Guy. He wasn't a, a male as such. But um uh we uh we decided that a group of us, including my brother, um uh, decided to uh, get up to a little bit of skullduggery. We had our our fireworks, we had our bangers, our crackers, whatever, and uh, we were wandering around the streets of Elizabeth at night and um, uh, lighting these things and letting them off. Probably uh, uh, one of the highlights of the, uh, the night for me was um, some person 
who obviously enjoyed Guy Fawkes, had left a tin rubbish bin right down on the pavement, an empty one, and looked practically new. And I think they'd, they'd uh, placed that there just for little fellas like us. <laughs> and so I picked the biggest banger I could, lit it, and put the lid on, and we all scarpered. My brother was a little bit slower off the take, and so uh, I'd run a reasonable distance, and so we all sort of turned with anticipation, and this thing went off. And the lid of the the, uh, the dustbin went extraordinarily high. It must have gone up to about 30 feet. <laughs> My brother had stopped, lost sight of the uh, the lid, and I could see this thing gradually floating towards him. And I, I was trying to get out a warning, <laughs> But it just didn't come, and believe it or not, he'd stepped right into the place of this <laughs> lid. Oh. Um, now, whether that uh, uh, you know scattered his brain a little bit more than normal, <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Still <laughs> watch this. <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, I think it might have been my suggestion, but I, I, I would put you know cheerfully put the blame on him as well, as we were sort of exhausting our uh, fireworks. Uh, we were going past our house and our letterbox was nailed to the top of the post and the fence. Mm -hmm. And there was a particularly nasty spider inside of this thing. So um, I thought it was a, a really sort of cunning plan to actually put a bang inside this um, So it was box. your idea? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I might not have come up with the suggestion, but I certainly came up with the way to implement it. And so... Um, well, Julie sort of lit this thing, put it in, and actually locked the lid of the uh, letterbox to make sure the explosion would really, uh, you know, get rid of this uh, spider. <laughs> well, um, yes, it went off. It got rid of the spider, but it lifted the most of the letterbox off the post and just left the metal bit nailed to the top of the... <laughs> uh, it made an enormous noise, and um, my father obviously wasn't... Uh, was pretty close to the door because he raced out because uh, we were sort of a bit open mouth like, oh, my goodness me, that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> and, uh, and he saw the, the smoke enshrouded shreds of the letterbox and he said, who did this? And I said, they went that way. <laughs> <laughs> and um, anyway, my father really didn't believe me, but my mother <laughs> said, oh, that our boys wouldn't do something <laughs> like that. And we said, Oh, we wouldn't. <laughs> um, I guess uh, the things explosive had always been sort of in our family. And um, uh, while I was at uh, uni, I'd learned to make a, a very good uh, smoke bomb, and um, including the fuse. You could get the ingredients in those days. And uh, I was... Uh, my brother and I were actually driving through my Standard 8, which was... Uh, uh, a fairly dilapidated small little car with an eight horsepower motor because you can see it's sort of um, a pretty racy machine and my brother was with me and he wanted to light one of these smoke bombs that I had and we were going um, along Norwood Parade and he said can I do it can I? yeah I said well if you do you've got to drop it through the floor because there's a big rusty hole in the bottom of the on the passenger side. As there is. Yeah, as you well, that's right. And um, so, he, you know, with great glee, he lit this thing and dropped it through the floor. Um, so it looked like we were completely innocent. And it was a magnificent bomb. It actually filled Nord Parade. And I could see the cars having to slow down and come out of this, this white smoke 
And uh, of course, we sort of roared off at great speed in our little standard eight, uh, laughing our heads off. Um, uh, yes, so my brother managed to get me into all sorts of strife. Yeah, your brother, years. yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes, your brother. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so uh, kids, don't try these things at home. These were different times. <laughs> Very different times. <laughs> they were different times. But typical of uh, of some of the things that you got up to in those days, uh, alongside all the serious business of, of study. Uh, yes. Um, yes, it was the serious part of study. Uh, I, I I was never really a, a really good student, Um um, because I was actually quite young. I matriculated in what was year 11, so I started uni when I was 16. I was very naive. I had no idea how to uh, take lecture notes or anything. And um, However, I actually managed to complete the uh, degree in the time allotted, which was quite rare. Um, but uh, each year I had to have a, uh, do a supplementary exam, and uh, which I always managed to excel because I only had one to study for. So... Um, in many ways, that was an asset. Um, mm -hmm. But I managed to get through and, um, uh, yeah, and um, as I said, um, graduated when I was 19. Um, because I did my bit of an engineering in Melbourne and here also in Adelaide. I was with the, um, the Pipelines Authority <clears throat> for a couple of years. Um, what does that involve? Well, uh, the pipeline, it sounds like a, you just... Um, you know, pushing gas down a pipeline from Moomba down to, to Adelaide. Um, but there's a lot of electronics and communications associated with it. So they need an electronic engineer. And I was the only electronic engineer there. So, um, uh, yes, so that's that involved, as I said, RF communications, instrumentation, computers, and um, all sorts of things. So, you know, it was quite involved. And you enjoyed that? That was something uh, after having studied all these years, it was a way to put that into to use or was your brain always ticking for the next thing? <laughs> my, my my brain is always ticking. Um, uh, in fact, it's probably one of my, um, one of my uh, burdens I have to bear. Um, I probably didn't enjoy that as much. I much enjoyed, uh, much further enjoyed the, um, uh, the research and development thing that I did in Melbourne. Um, uh, where you're really sort of, uh, you know, designing things from scratch. Um, and so, uh, as I said, I really didn't enjoy that. But then there came an opportunity to uh, get a lecturer's position at um, TAFE at Kilkenny. And so uh, I actually uh, got interested in that, applied for that, and actually got in there and ended up again being one of the youngest lecturers ever to be in, in TAFE. Um, but... Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, that's really uh, where my academic side took off. Um, uh, I did further studies and, and, and whatever. I always aspired to perhaps go on and do a PhD, but never got around to it. Um, I think having a, a, a large family, five, uh, five children and uh, 10 acres of land and animals to look after sort of uh, precluded that sort of activity. Yeah. Mm. Well, we will be back with more of Ken's story straight after this on Life Bursts with Matt and Sarah. Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. Welcome back to Life Bursts with Matt and Sarah. Today we're chatting with Ken. And Ken, I would like to know why you liked electronic engineering so much. Ah, oh, uh, yes, that's... Um... That's not a bad question. The um, 
uh, I think at this stage, I'm so I'm glad you asked that question. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, when I was 12 years old, uh, next door neighbour, he was a electronic technician working out at what was known then as the weapons research establishment. And he was a ham operator. And um, he decided that he would um, uh, start a, a small radio club for the local lads. And um, so me and a few other friends went round there on um, uh, the weekend and he would uh, uh, show us, um, you know, his equipment and the components and so on. I also had a friend at high school who was interested in uh, electronics, uh, very sort of low level stuff. Um, uh, the first thing I made was what is called a crystal set, which uh, was, is a very simple passive receiver um and uh and you use earphones and you can actually you know pick up the normal am broadcast um and then i made myself uh, a a receiver uh, which uh, used uh, valves in those days the transistor hadn't come on the scene and um, so out of that um when i received my um scholarship i sort of asked well what, what do you want to do and uh this next door neighbour, um, he said, well, obviously you want to do engineering. And I thought, oh, yes, that's a good idea. <laughs> um, and so uh, that's really where it started. So my choice was sort of really made uh, when I was 12 years old, got an interest in, in electronics and uh, I got used to the idea of, uh, you know, soldering components together. Um, uh, things electrical fascinated me. I'm sure that uh, my... Um, my brother can tell a story of how uh, I got him to hold on to a couple of leads and uh, um, uh, he uh, got a slight electrocution, uh, electric shock. Um, where, does, where, where do these things end for you two? You just electrocuted your brother. Uh, That's fine. No, he didn't actually die. It was just an electric shock. <laughs> All in the name of I would have got into real trouble with my mother if I had done that. Um, so it sounds like everything is very like science-based, like you were very scientific with how you made the radio or how you did the bombs or how, like, everything that you did, it was very science-based. Yeah, I, I guess it was. I, um, I always did very well at uh, physics and chemistry, mm-hmm. and uh, I enjoyed maths. Um, believe it or not, I actually enjoyed English, and um, I did not enjoy Latin and French. Uh, they were not my strong suit at all. Um but yes, I guess it's, uh, you know, that's been my natural inclination. Mm. So everything very scientific. 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 Some, you know, things that uh, if, if something works, um, it's, it's always fascinating to pull it apart and find out why it works and then have the challenge to put it back again and have it still work. Does that annoy your wife? Hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I think she's just got used to it. <laughs> <laughs> However, she does find it useful that, uh, you know, Ken, this isn't working, and I go, oh, goody, something else to fix. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She has come to the conclusion that I do actually like um, taking things which are old and dilapidated and renovating them and making them work and making them look good. Um, so, uh, you know, that's uh, something that gives me a certain amount of satisfaction. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know, stick around, Matt. Uh, could... Yeah, yeah. 
So you've uh, you've touched on, on uh, meeting your wife and the fan, and the, the property you have, but, but somewhere along the line, with all of that, um, you know, the scientific background that you had, you're an engineer. Um, something happened that uh, perhaps shook that up a bit for you. Yes, it certainly did. Um, I uh, uh, when I first started as a as a lecturer, I had uh, I started off with 140 students, and so someone who's new to that an academic area and having that number of students um, obviously that was a fairly heavy load and I came down with glandular fever <coughs> and um, I was uh, it was quite bad and uh, uh, my wife used to come and uh, pick me up uh, from our flat and drive me to the uh, the college I would sit down at the front give my lecture and then uh, she would throw me in the car and take me back again mm. um, uh, so, you know, to recuperate, it took me quite a while. It took me about four weeks. But while I was there, um, laying in bed, I, you, you had a lot of time to think. And uh, I said, that there's really got to be more to it than this. And um, I knew of one colleague uh, who was into um, Hinduism. And... Um, I thought, okay, when I when I get back, I'll actually ask him about this because I needed to get um, a deeper answer to what life was all about and um, where it was going, and um, and I, I guess that's part of my uh, um, natural curiosity as well. But wasn't science enough? Like he knew no. how everything worked, and no, science science and uh, definitely was not in, enough and uh, i could actually even then i was quite disappointed with um how society behaved um it seemed like we could make lots of advantages in, you, you know advances in technology but in terms of getting along with one another um we were doing a pretty miserable job and uh, that was when the vietnam war was on and uh, so on and um uh, you know, things looked pretty grim. We'd just come out of, uh, uh, you know, the Cold War and the, the threat of nuclear war and so on. So um, there was a lot of uh, lot of things wrong with the world that were quite obvious then. Um, there are now, of course. But uh, uh, so when I got back, I said, uh, you, you know, I asked him, I said, tell me about this uh, Hindu stuff. And so he um, talked a bit about the Bhagavad Gita and... Uh, uh, and the different gods and whatnot, and then he said, "But you don't want to know about that. Uh, you want to know about Jesus Christ." Oh. And uh, I thought, "Okay, do I?" Um, because I'd actually had arguments with this 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 guy. Uh, he'd become a Christian, and um, uh, I was very anti-Christian, and so we'd have verbal fisticuffs. But for once, I actually listened to him, mm. and as I listened to him, I knew deep in myself that I was listening to the truth of who this who this person, this Jesus was. And um, so we had very long conversations um, and um, eventually I, uh, I, 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 it gradually grew to the point where, yeah, I want, I want to follow this, this, this Jesus character. So do you remember any of the questions that you asked? To tell you the truth, no. Um, uh, in fact, he was a great talker, hmm. um, and so uh, you you know once you got him started, you could hardly get him to stop. Hmm. 
Um, I have been accused of that myself, mm -hmm. but I'm sure that's wrong. Um, but yeah, it, I actually uh, woke up, or well, I thought I woke up one night, and uh, there was a figure at the bottom of the bed. And um, uh, it was quite an elaborate robe that this, this figure had. I couldn't see the face. And when I saw it, I was absolutely terrified. And um, this figure then said, Ken, keep coming on the straight road. And as soon as he spoke that, an incredible peace went through me. And uh, Are you talking about like a physical person was in your house? It felt like a physical oh. person. Um, but it wasn't? No. Okay. Because um, I thought I was awake, but then I woke up. And uh, I was going to wake my wife up and say, hey, guess what happened? And uh, because I'd been telling her about the conversations I'd been having. Mm. And um, I thought, no, uh, she'll think I'm nuts. Uh, so this happened on a Friday night. And on Monday, I, um, uh, when I turned up uh, to work, I, um, I met this mate of mine and I told him what happened and his jaw dropped. Uh, he'd just been speaking to another Christian and apparently both of them had been praying for me that Friday and both of them felt this incredible peace at quarter to 11. Wow. And um, uh, I thought, wow, you know, this is more than coincidence. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, um, I started the journey with this, with this person called Jesus who was, uh, you know, lived 2,000 years ago. And it's been a, an ongoing adventure ever since. We'll be back to hear about this ongoing adventure straight after this here on Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects one in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a Raw Cut Community Service Announcement. Thank you for joining us on Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. We're hearing Ken's story as Ken's uh, talked about uh, being an engineer and coming to the point where uh, you went through a, a moment where science wasn't providing the answers and uh, through some questions you began a, an adventure with Jesus, you described it. What did that look like? What changed for you in that, that initial moment? Well, I guess it, um, uh, for me... Um it opened up a completely new new world that I didn't realize existed. Um, it opened up uh, uh, what happens in the in the, in the spiritual realm, uh, what happens in the soul, and uh, in fact that there is uh, there is an answer to the problems that the world had, the things that had sort of always troubled me, and uh, the more I read um, about Jesus the more I realised that he, he did have the answers. Uh, we just simply have to be able to be, pick those up, run with them and implement them, and we'd have a very different world. Whoa, that's like... Yeah. That's huge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, right. <laughs> that's um, a big change from science-based to now 
This yes, guy who lived like 2,000 years ago. Basically. So I imagine you just carried on as usual. Yeah. <laughs> How could one? How yeah. could one? When um, uh, we, we went through such a, um, a dramatic change, and I actually said to, to, my, to my wife, I said, I think uh, I need to get baptised. And she said, well, can we wait until the baby is born? Because she was well and truly pregnant by then. And we'll get baptised together. Aww. And so that was a great moment. Um, so as a family, we were starting out as a as a Christian family. Mm. Um, the um, the friend that I actually had uh, that that actually introduced me to uh, uh, Jesus, he and his wife and uh, another a Christian um, sort of a folk musician had started a band called uh, Country Gospel Bluegrass Band, mm. and uh, we'd actually having tea with them. Um, as a, as a group, and the the two of them saying, "Gee, I wish we had a bass player." And so I said, "Oh, how hard is it to learn bass?" Uh oh. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> and their eyes lit up. You could see the sort of glint in their eyes. <laughs> Great, we have someone. Um, so for the next two months, I'd get up first thing in the morning with my very cheap short bass. Um, a guitar and our ho homemade uh, bass amplifier, mm. and I'd practice um, each morning and each night. And so after two months, I actually found myself on stage for the first time mm. um, playing along with a bluegrass band. And uh, as is typical with your first performance, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and I get these strange looks like, what chord are you playing? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> um, but having sort of uh, uh, mastered that and been forgiven for mm -hmm. boshing it up, um, <laughs> uh, I was uh, with that group for uh, seven years. Uh, we had various members that came and left, um, and uh, we were in very much demand. Um, in fact, we actually had to book times where we'd have a break uh, because otherwise we would be booked every weekend uh, a couple of times each weekend and um, uh, we would also practice every week so um, it was it was very popular it sounds a bit lame now these days uh, listening to it but in those days it was like wow this is this is so new and so different um, we played at big venues um, uh, we played at the festival theater and the Adelaide Town Hall and um, uh, you know a, a big evangelism um, event um, so uh, we actually made a uh, uh, a record, an LP, uh, which of course uh, are now coming back into fashion. So mm -hmm. I might get some more pressings of that yeah. and sort of go, <laughs> go into business. Um, uh, so uh, we we made a uh, we sold a lot of those. So it was really sort of quite popular, and we did tours in you know into the country and so on. Mm -hmm. But what that really did is expose me to so many different denominations because you know we went from Church of England to Pentecostals to uh, Brethren to uh, uh, Methodists and Uniting Church well it wasn't Uniting Church in those days but um, Baptist and so on and uh, even um, uh, I think that we went to one Roman Catholic gig where it was a very upbeat Roman Catholic priest so um, I was exposed to a broad range of different doctrines and um, 
So I wasn't sort of cast in a particular mould, I guess. We, we started off at a Lutheran church. Uh, we've been to several different denominations uh, since then for our own um, you know, worship time, uh, church time. But um, and I guess it, uh, that sort of opened me up to the possibilities of that anything could happen. Uh, you know, that um, I needn't be constrained in my thinking because uh, all denominations have things that are right and things that are not so right. And, um, and because I was always interested in the truth and, and you know, with this scientific engineering mind of mine, um, I was always interested in actually finding out what the real truth was. <clears throat> One of the things that actually happened for me was um, I learned something about prayer took it to a spiritual level and it's the first time I'd actually heard of this this is when we were going to a brethren church and this little book was introduced to me and that was quite an eye-opener and so I started to delve into you know um, uh, the spiritual stuff and spiritual prayer and that sort of thing and then I heard that there was uh, a, uh, a preacher from Africa visiting Adelaide, uh, who had a healing ministry. And so uh, I said to Anne, OK, I'll, I'll go down. I'll just go down for the morning. He was there for, um, I think, four days. I'll just go down for the morning, see what it's like. Well, that's the first time I actually saw a miracle actually in front of my eyes. Um, and uh, this lady who was deaf in one ear, people had prayed for her and, uh, uh, you know, nothing had happened. And he said, that's all right, don't worry about it. And right there he commanded the, um, uh, you know, he hearing to come back and uh, told her to cover her good ear. And he just repeated, repeated phases as he went further and further back to the, down the hall and she could repeat it as he went. So her hearing was literally healed then and there. Mm. And who healed it? He healed her. Who healed it? Yeah, who healed it? Um... I'm just trying to remember his name. I can't remember his name. But he, uh, uh, he, he actually, yes, he. Uh, well, oh, you're saying who? Healed? Who healed it? Yeah, not not the man, because from, oh, what, okay. from what you've just said, it obviously was not the man from Africa that healed it. He was no, obviously no. an instrument okay. to I be beg used. Your pardon. Yes, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Obviously, you you were actually get, wanted me to say that it was Jesus that healed, and obviously that is absolutely correct. <laughs> And so, uh, but the long and short of it all was that I actually went back to him and I said, this guy's for real. You need to come down as well. And, um, and this, uh, this preacher, um, he, he gave full credit for, to Jesus and uh, what he has done for us. Um, and so healing these miracles, they're for real. I then actually took my mother and father on the last night to see him and um, my mother had a nasty fall she'd been in a wheelchair uh, she'd had a, a, a an injured hip and she was sitting next to me and he was just giving his message and she dug me in the ribs and said Damn. I said what's the matter I'm healed I said, what do you mean my leg just moved it's healed I said really that's great but he hasn't prayed yet. <laughs> and sure enough, she was healed, just sitting there listening to this guy. 
and him talking about the love of God and how what Jesus has done for us. Um, so I was I was convinced I was convinced that um, healing through the name of Jesus is for real. So I bet you you wanted to go out and start doing that on and other people, didn't that's you? That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I thought this was going. Yeah, so we'll be back to find out if he actually and how that happens straight after this on Life Verse with Matt and Sarah. If you think more people should listen to this, share this podcast on social media. Welcome back to Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. Today we're chatting with Ken. And uh, with the final parts of the, the show, you've just said that you then wanted to go around healing people and doing miracles in Jesus' name. Um, so how did you deal with the skeptics of that? Of you saying that and then doing that? Well, I guess it's um, uh, skeptics are sort of either uh, obviously just disbelieving, but there some are also quite fearful. Um, I think that in many ways, um, it's not that we went out to try and convince people uh, from a logical point of view. It was when they see the results in front of them, it's pretty hard to discount it. And um, so really didn't sort of get too many negatives. I got uh, uh, I got a lot of resistance to actually starting a healing ministry in the church. Mm. And um, I proposed it for quite a few months. And the, the resistance actually came from the pastors. Wow, okay. Oh. Um, uh, because, you know, did I dot the I's and cross the T's and all the rest of it. And, um, and you have to remember this was a Lutheran church. Um, say no more. Um, so you were trying to be as, do as what Jesus did and went around and like healed people and did miracles. And the minister was saying, nah, even though that's like the whole point. Well, they point didn't of say no as such, but they, they've always um, found reasons not to yeah, okay. say yes. Um, I actually had prepared quite a, 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 um, a lengthy range of documents to sort of say, okay, this is how what it would look like, this is how it would work, this is how people would be trained and so on. So um, I put a lot of thought into it mm. and uh, uh, they complained about trivial things, oh, you've done this, you've done that, and no, we haven't decided yet and so on. Um, but finally they decided to let me off the leash. And um, I, uh, we were asked, my, um, my wife and I were asked to... Um, join a group of Lutherans who learned to speak in tongues and, uh, uh, you know, because um, uh, the, they felt that we might be able to give them a bit of guidance or whatever. And out of that group, um, once that group realised it wasn't about tongues or anything else, it was really, you know, everything about Jesus is miraculous. Um, you, don't, you don't have to sort of concentrate in one area. And so we started to uh, pray deeply about um, uh, our own um, liabilities and faults and, and whatever. And so slowly but surely, we, we actually as a group developed into this, this time, uh, this sort of group that um, knew one another, had a, a level of trust with one another. And finally, the pastors say, OK, yes, you can do it. And so we were launched from there. 
and um uh you know god was really great uh, the holy spirit was so so careful to teach us about things um i have to ask when you were healing people is this like rolling around on the ground screaming and shaking thing or no uh, well yeah, generally no okay. um you know that, that that's sort of um uh, that's what I call a circus performance, you know. And I, I personally don't like that at all, and I don't think that is uh, that's that's not necessary. Um, so you know, generally people sort of just uh, um, receive prayer, receiving you know um, teaching, and are healed. Um, uh, probably one of the more dramatic times was a lady who had Crohn's disease which is a very serious disease, mm, yes. and uh, it was progressing. Mm. And um, uh, there was uh, someone else with me, and uh, it was like, yes, pray for her now. So we started praying for her, and she actually started to feel quite weak. And she said, I've got to lay down. Mm. Um, we actually started praying for different parts of her body. Um, so what, 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 what would you say when, when you were praying for that particular person? Well, okay. If we if we spotted a, uh, for example, uh, there was a problem with the liver, mm -hmm. okay, and it was something the Holy Spirit showed us. Yeah. And so uh, we say, okay, in the name of Jesus Christ, um, we command you to be healed and whatever, uh, you know, to 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 leave her, and she would actually feel things actually happening inside her body, <laughs> and um, uh, and so we we sort of. Um, worked through various parts of her body, including her, obviously her intestinal um, uh, gut lining and, yeah. and whatnot. And um, uh, she felt, you know, quite sort of uh, uh, dazed by the time of it, but she, she felt fine. And she went to the doctor that week and he said, I don't know what you've been doing, but you, you're healed. Mm, wow. Whoa. I was going to ask, like, what, if you had any <laughs> medical proof or shown to the doctor yeah. or something, yeah, but it, it actually it actually had gone. It had actually gone. She did completely not completely gone. It was healed. Um, actually, a few months later, she I was actually talking to one of the pastors, and uh, she knocked on the door and came in, and she looked very very worried. She said, "The symptoms are starting to come back again," and I said, "Well, you know, that's easy. We can affirm what has actually happened." And I said, it's okay if I put my hand on your tummy and uh, pray for it. She said, oh, yeah, okay. And so the pastor was there and, and, and we prayed for her. I said, there you are, it's all fixed. And she said, yes, it was. Wow. Um, and so the, the, the symptoms disappeared, whether the symptoms actually uh, were, um, you know, because the, the, there had been a recurrence or whether it was just, you know, something in the mind or, the, you know, we don't know. Now, I'm I'm curious. What would you, what would you say to people watching this if they're like they've got something going on with them and they want to test out what you're saying? What would you say to them? Well, um, I think that first of all, you have to understand uh, what Jesus went through for us. Um, you know. Um, a lot of the depictions were sort of pretty mild. Um, this man was, uh, he was brutally um, whipped to the point where flesh was torn off his back. He was, um, I mean, that crown of thorns, you just get one thorn in you and it hurts like crazy. Imagine the thorns being put on your head and then being hit over the head. 
and those thorns being driven through your skin into, mm. you know, scraping across the top of your skull, um, let alone the um, uh, the nails going through uh, parts of the body where uh, they're, they're just so, the nerves are so packed together, the pain would be excruciating and then just hanging there. Um, and it's quite clear, the Bible says, we are healed by his stripes. And the biggest problem for people is to accept that Jesus wants to heal them, you know. Um, and people come up with all sorts of reasons why, um, uh, no, I'm not good enough, or, uh, uh, you know, no, I can I can handle it, it's okay, and um, uh, these sorts of things. And for some reason, they, they push away from these sorts of things. Sometimes yeah, people aren't healed straight away. Um, and sometimes there's, there's prayer and healing comes later. Why? We don't know. Each person is different. And so each person's experience is different. But the, the, there is a reality that Jesus has uh, done everything that's needed for us to speak healing into people, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's psychological or spiritual. He's done everything. So what should they say? Help. Jesus, please help. Um, and be open to the fact that he loves them, that he's not mad at them, he wants to heal them, and that he will guide them into a place and a time where the healing will be complete. And Ken, I guess just to clarify, you say this not as uh, something you've read in the book, or uh, but you've seen and you've given one example, but many times where this has been lived out and you've seen it happen in your life yes. and those around yeah. you today. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it over and over again, and uh, uh, and it's it's really uh, it's not it's no power within myself. It's no you know okay, I, I might have you know degrees or whatever that has nothing to do with it. Um, it is a fact that uh, you, if a person is open to uh, the Holy Spirit working through them to bring healing to people, then they'll bring healing to people. Mm. I and mean, that's available to people who want, people who have to ask Jesus to be healed. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks, Ken. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really the good. The story. It's yeah. certainly. Uh, we started off with a question: Can an engineer believe in miracles? And you've uh, you've <laughs> seen the surface, but I I love how your story has come and brought you to that point and seen seen that happen. Yeah. Thanks, Ken, for being so open and sharing with all of us today about your life story. Really appreciate it. You can catch up with Life Bursts wherever you listen to your podcasts and on Facebook, YouTube, and TV and radio as well. I'm Sarah, and I'm Matt. Thanks for joining us. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman, with production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshra Ozadigan. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a Rawcut production.